This is Jim Hughes with AFIO Now. We are a program of uh, recorded interviews with senior U.S. intelligence officers. And today I'm very pleased to say that I have repeat performers on both sides. Joining me as co-host and the interviewer is Jennifer Daniel. Jennifer is a retired senior NGA officer, 37 years of service. Uh, her last job at NGA was associate director for Enterprise. And she's going to come on today and introduce our guest, who's also a perfect um, performer, and help me with the interview. Jennifer, welcome to AFIO Now. Thanks, Jim. It's my pleasure to be back again, um, but it's especially a pleasure to be interviewing Shelby Pearson. I've known Shelby for quite a long time, um, probably close to when she started in our business. So, um, Shelby, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Oh, you're welcome. So just some brief background for those of you who don't know anything about Shelby. She's got a very um, diverse set of skills. Um, she's worked multiple disciplines across the intelligence community. Um, she was, um, prior to this assignment, she was the federal government's first intelligence community election threats executive, where she was the principal advisor to the director of national intelligence on all election security related matters. Before that, she was the National Intelligence Manager for Russia, Europe, and Eurasia. Eurasia. Um, she also led the GEOINT posture across Russia, Europe, and Ukraine, I want to say Ukraine, Asia, and Syria um, when she was at NGA. Currently, Shelby is the Deputy Director of NGA's Source Operations and Management Directorate, and is that director is responsible for a broad range of tasking and collection management of GEOINT sources and provides um, foundation-based operations to the IC, DOD, and other partners. Um, today, we're going to talk to her about the directorate's responsibility for commercial GEOINT discovery, assessment, and acquisition. So the first thing I'd like to discuss with you, Shelby, is... Um, you know, when we started or when I started, and um, even over the last five years, the growth in the commercial imaging companies, as well as the growth in companies that process commercial imagery, has grown significantly. Um, and that has really um, set forward a different um, landscape for satellite capabilities than we've ever had before. Could you tell us how this landscape has changed from your position and what you're seeing? And then what are the newest capabilities and how have they impacted the GUN community? First of all, Jennifer, it is so good to see you. And I know for all the members of AFIO, um, we know how small the community can be. And it's so good to always remain connected and see former colleagues in new dimensions and new ways. So I'm great, uh, grateful, excuse me, to be back here. Um, and visiting with great friends, and um, I hope everyone remains connected and uh, across the board, both when you were in service and um, uh, when we remain connected through organizations like AFIO. It's truly a privilege uh, to be a repeat uh, guest uh, for this group. Um, Jennifer and I um, spent a lot of time together, as you heard in her opening remarks, and in fact, I owe a lot of my professional accomplishments to Jennifer's mentoring and investment in my own career. And part of our time together really centered on, I think, 
this uh, explosion and changing landscape as it relates just to overhead reconnaissance writ large. And although we'll spend our time together today talking about commercial and, and the commercial landscape and industries really booming uh, level of effort in overhead reconnaissance, what I think about together uh, when I reflect back on both my time um, with you, Jennifer, and over the course of our uh, careers is really that um, the landscape, as you mentioned, when we started so many years ago is so different today. And so even as a touchstone for many of our AFIO colleagues, when we were thinking about uh, companies like Digital Globe, right, we sort of had one company and maybe some uh, what we would call venture capitalist type capabilities. For me, I think the first huge difference is scale. And so you really have a, a quite a heavy volume and large volume of both U.S. commercial providers, as well as, uh, frankly, a whole uh, flourishing international capability as well. So scope is one thing to highlight. Um, second is diversity of sensors, right? As we know, um, uh, most of us are familiar with visual imagery, and yet there's also a proliferation and diversity of sensors. And I'll talk a little bit about some of our work, for example, in Russia, Ukraine, uncommercial synthetic aperture radar, or SAR, as we call it in the geobusiness, Jennifer, obviously you know well. But the real um, diversity of sensors um, across the board with high revisit rates, where you really just look at um, uh, a climate in which the prospect of harmonizing government capabilities with commercial capabilities brings a lot of excitement to our national security capability. The third thing that I'll mention is also the integration of these systems where, and I, I know Jennifer will talk about it together this afternoon, is this issue is that commercial is not the other. It is a, a, a level of data, uh, volume of services, diversity of sensors, that really bring the prospect of strengthening the entire national security capability, even as it fits into that domain in an unclassified way or ways in which that are proliferated globally. It is now nearing and, and morphing and harmonizing with our government capabilities to, to bring, frankly, a real whole of government and whole of uh, uh, planet capability that, that you and I probably didn't even dream about um, several years ago when we were first brought together. So it sounds like, um, you know, we first um, were working together, there was a large demand that couldn't be met, and there was a great deal of competition. And it sounds like you have a lot more resources to work with as you're um, meeting the different requirements of the community. And Jennifer, what's interesting, and, and I, I still think perhaps up for discussion and perhaps uh, still to be determined is volume, and we know that in some ways, commercial and geoint at large has a data challenge, which is you can vacuum up the entire planet. And yet that doesn't totally mean that you have the infrastructure by which to process all of it, to look at all of it, to use all of it. So I think where you and I came from in terms of augmenting existing capabilities really now has blown just um, 
from a volume perspective, I think, has blown that argument out in terms of this is just going to sort of complement national technical means or NTM as you and I would have known it. Um, it's really more about the right data at the right time for the right users for the requirements we have. And I think that's a much more sophisticated, if not nuanced, domain than I'll get, I'm totally making this up, you know, 30 point targets over critical areas once per day. It's just a very, very different dynamic. And so for me, it's energizing to um, have to open my perspective. Um, obviously, you and I uh, work in the, in the classified world and um, know that uh, we hold the geoint tradecraft near and dear to our hearts. And so there's always been, I think, this inherent tension about, well, how am I going to do this with unclassified sources? A lot of that has really blossomed, I think, in a way um, where we, as I said earlier, can harmonize both classified and unclassified capabilities. So to me, it's it's become less the precious commodity of how are we going to spend those, let's, as I said earlier, 30 chits that we had in one day. And now it's more about like, I have thousands of opportunities. What are the right ones for the right customers at the right time? So kind of a different challenge than uh, what you and I originally experienced. That is a much different um, challenge, Shelby. I guess, um, do you still find that the demand for commercial imagery exceeds the amount of funding available? And how do you, if so, how do you go about prioritizing the needs? It's uh, it's always a challenge. I would say it's always a government challenge that we have more to more mission than we always have budget, right? And I also think the intelligence community, the Defense Department, really large scale efforts in government always have more requirements than resources. That's probably the, the reality across the U.S. government. But I will say this: um, what's important for us is having specific requirements. So I think commercial was always seen a little bit as other. And now we're seeing, um, as I say, more of an integrated opportunity and capability where we want to be able to receive um, both intelligence, defense department, civil uh, and uh, international requirements. And then the NGA and its leadership role, as you know, as the leader of the GEO and community can really triage those requirements in the most creative and effective way. So to me, it's less about always outpacing requirements because it's insatiable, as you know, there's always more demand for more looks per day for more types of requirements. And I think to me, it's it's also educating our and customers as to what's the prospect of what commercial can bring. So not just, I want an image of this, it's talk to me a little bit about what's the question you're trying to answer. And I think NGA has really flourished in a way to uh, both play or coach uh, with our colleagues across the government to say, help me understand what you're trying to answer, because it might not even be an image that you're looking for. It might be an existing product. It might be a procured commercial service that we're interested in, or it actually might be a requirement that someone else has already tasked and we can eliminate that redundancy. So I think the way in which we looked at this originally, which just was pixels, taking images day in and day out versus requirements, that binary balance has really changed a bit to where we're handling lots of different types of, of requirements, lots of different types of questions and challenges from our partners, the warfighter, our intelligence policymaker readership, and we have to be able to balance that, I think, in a very nuanced way. 
that to, to more pointedly also answer your question, Jennifer, is I, I do think that as we look to expand the volume of companies that are providing information to the government that are meeting all kinds of uh, requirements, as I mentioned, it gets more competitive. So that also, I think, can help us in some of the cost management challenges where, you, as you know, we might have had only one or two firms that were originally involved. Imagine when there's some competitiveness in terms of having 10 to 20 to 50 firms um, all competing for different requirements. There's an opportunity for also um, improved business and resource management on that front as well. That's great, Shelby. Um, uh, the next thing that I want to um, discuss with you is most of our audience um, probably doesn't realize that the, that the relationship and the responsibilities for all of the commercial capabilities are split between NRO and NGA. And I, I was wondering if you could describe that relationship and who has responsibility for what. Uh, you're right. I think sometimes even within the community, people think of, you know, GeoWent, there are people in Chantilly, people in Springfield, and they all just do, do this work. Um, as the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, and NGA have had the strongest of partnerships for decades, and obviously this goes back to our uh, heritage of photo interpretation and overhead reconnaissance, and uh, Jennifer, that uh, certainly brought us together um, so many years ago, um, commercial has become a similar extension of that relationship and partnership between these organizations. And so today, just as much as NRO is responsible for the programming and acquisition of our classified constellation, they are also responsible for administering the acquisition contract um, for, for in this particular case, with one of our strongest commercial partners being Maxar. Um, and so they will procure uh, data under that acquisition arrangement. What's really invigorating about this opportunity is that it's driven by requirements that have been gathered by NGA. So that's very similar to the functions that you and I are so familiar with in NGA, where the source organization that I work with today drives requirements as received by the community. And when I say requirements, that's a very broad um, waterfront of interest areas and data types. So it can be everything from Russia, Ukraine, looking at uh, the forward line of troops uh, around Kyiv or in uh, Kherson or whatever you're seeing on the nightly news, all the way to creating foundation data which is used for our safety of navigation mission. So the spectrum of information that's needed, um, NRO uh, pushes through uh, requirements with our partner through the acquisition. Uh, and again, we have a, a, a contract that allows us to do that. What NGA also focuses on in that paradigm is the acquisition of services. And so when we talk about services, um, and I think this is one of the breakthrough areas, Jennifer, from our time together, which is perhaps I need, I don't even need the pixels or the data. What I really want is a, a private organization to do the work for us, to create the analytic deliverable, um, whether that's, let's say, monitoring um, uh, ports, um, or doing some sort of automated and, and automation, of course, has been a huge component of the intelligence community across the board. 
commercial is no different. So I really want um, our listeners and our viewers today to understand that when we talk about commercial, it's not just pixels. It's also the prospect of what commercial data can flourish within industry as well, where they're doing monitoring, they're doing other types of deliverables to the intelligence community, where I don't necessarily have to spend that level of effort with our classified government analysts and collection capabilities. So I think that's a, a really um, uh, nascent effort in some ways, but it's it's one where pixels, 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 we actually also need pixels and services. It's both more efficient and also can capitalize on some best practices and innovation that reside in industry. So Shelby, um, you know, after hearing your explanation, which was a great one, by the way, um, could you give us a little more information on the types of processing and analytic tools that you and the community are using? Yes, and, and again, I think for the purposes of this discussion, it's really important for um, our listeners to understand. So we have collected images. We talked about the NRO leads, the acquisition of those images as driven by NGA. There's also tools, I think, Jennifer, which you and I would also know is what's the best way by which we actually create exploitation environment to capitalize on the data that we're getting. And then the phrase that we're using inside NGA and across the community today is services where you're procuring sort of a packaged level of information from a private company. I wanted to share with the group uh, this afternoon just a couple of examples that I think are pretty intriguing and I hope um, they'll understand the um, sort of um, burgeoning environment that we are working with. So I hope that some of your listeners have heard of computer vision where we're looking to automate. Um, I see you smile since you've been uh, have the battle scars for some of those uh, original levels of efforts. But for listeners that aren't familiar, computer vision is really that the pointy end of the spear of automated object detection from commercial sources. Um, we have been using computer vision models from unclassified sources to conduct damage assessments for civil facilities following natural disasters. One of the things that's, I think, um, very invigorating for those of us who have the privilege of working at NGA is that, yes, we're an intelligence agency. Yes, we are a Defense Department uh, support organization, and we get to provide support to civil and commercial applications. And so disaster response is one, for example, NGA played a very active role recently with Hurricane Ian. So being able to leverage, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, right customer, right time, right data, commercial's perfect for that. But they don't have time to exploit all of that imagery to see where all the damage is for Hurricane Ian, for example. We need models, and in this case, computer vision, to do automated assessments to be able to give FEMA and our other federal partners very quick turnaround deliverables so that they can act on it. That's a great recent um, example. Um, also monitoring um, global illegal and regulated and unreported fishing. So again, I think um, being able to one, collect commercial data that has a commercial or unclassified client, um, and in this case, working with government organizations to include international partners that are interested in fishing. This is something that is naturally suited for these types of services. And then lastly is also um, doing what you and I grew up on, Jennifer, writing baseline reports. So we have um, 
capabilities within um, our commercial services where we are also um, using uh, commercial information to inform baseline products and sort of that foundational type of information where you don't necessarily um, need to have unique expertise day in and day out. And yet you can have services that are driven by our requirements to help inform those um, baseline activities so that you know when a change occurs that can really focus your intel um, or classified information or analysis on the back end. So those are kind of three very general examples of where services have started to step into the fray in terms of let's go buy this capability from a company rather than uh, necessarily having to use that across the board with our um, intelligence and military demands as well. Thanks, Shelby. Those are great examples. And, um, you know, I, I think back on all the years of the support to national security events and to um, disaster relief. And I was very glad to see that NGA is right there helping those who um, were um, who suffered the damages from um, Hurricane Ian. Um, so I want to get you back to um, an area that you're very familiar with is Ukraine. Um, so during the war in Ukraine, we've seen a number of, and I, I found it to be unprecedented, amount of commercial imagery in the media and the media using that commercial imagery, such as the convoy, the Russian convoy. Um, can you, from your perspective, can you tell us um, as much as you can about how commercial um, capabilities are being used for the war in Ukraine? And also, um, are we sharing imagery with Ukraine? It's a great vignette, and it's one, I think, Jennifer, years from now, we in the GeoInc community will look back on a major milestone in a GeoInc at large, not just commercial imagery, um, but as you indicated, sort of seeing um, imagery analysis, so to speak, the exploitation of overhead reconnaissance on the nightly news, driving in, that, in those cases, the media um, assessments and, and characterizations of the battlefield. And I am mindful, Jennifer, as, as I know we all are, that how our media companies procure and use commercial imagery is, is independent from what we're using it for on the government side, um, because it can be used for messaging and, and the um, international media has really gravitated towards commercial imagery in a way for them to, to propel and use their story um, uh, to positive effect. So there's a couple of things that I really wanted to share with the group this afternoon, um, because, as I said, I think Ukraine really has been a turning point. First and foremost, getting back to what I discussed earlier, when we looked at the, the mere scale of what we needed to accomplish, we knew that we would aggressively work very closely with our commercial partners to acquire as much data as we can. So first and foremost, it's about um, harmonizing an entire national security capability focused on this priority. And so we don't make a distinction between uh, our classified capabilities and commercial, as I mentioned. It's really a whole of toolkit where we are wanting to bring the full opportunity of GeoInt to bear against this conflict full stop. So just from that backdrop, Jennifer, I think this was a natural opportunity to sort of even more deeply hug commercial in because of the scale of what we were trying to accomplish and answer for, um, uh, given the demands for both our policymaking and defense department and international 
um, partners. I think the second aspect of this was given also the scale of the U.S. partnership relative to Ukraine. We have all of NATO. We have partners across the world that are interested in understanding in very clear terms the characterization of what is occurring in Ukraine. It informs everything from policy all the way to aid, all the way to sort of military harmonization and transactions with Ukraine writ large. So having unclassified data with which to sort of, I'll say, um, Jennifer, liberate us um, where we really didn't need to have the foreign disclosure engine that you and I grew up with, it really loosened things up in a way where we were able to very proactively work with partners to get them the data at the moment in which they needed it. And so I think um, both the scale of the conflict, the scale of our partnership demands really brought us to want to push every boundary as it relates to using commercial to the best effect. I think the third part of this is also, again, we have made so many strides in integrating commercial data into our operations that it was very seamless to get this to so many different groups across the world. One thing that I do want to mention that I know will be a departure for some of our listeners this afternoon is the use of what I mentioned several minutes ago, synthetic aperture radar. So what might have been considered a very um, discrete and government-only capability now is available on the commercial market. So commercial SAR, or for short, as of course the government likes to do, we call it COMSAR. And this also really helped, I think, again, provide additional data beyond that of the visual image um, to flourish our whole of uh, coverage of this particular vignette. Yes, we are sharing this information, including the commercial SAR with Ukraine, and it really has opened up and provided a plank to the scale and scope of support that the Defense Department um, and the State Department are providing to Ukraine and, and our allies as a critical component going forward. That's great to hear, Shelby. Um, thank you for that information and for the um, explanation. Um, so this might be a little bit of a harder question, but I know it's one that you've heard before, is um, with all of the commercial capabilities that exist, there are some critics that ask if we even need classified geo capabilities. How do you respond to that criticism? Jennifer, you know that that is near and dear to my heart, and um, uh, I'll certainly share my own personal perspective uh, here. So as I mentioned, I do look at uh, a whole of GeoInt capability to provide support and insight to the national security demands of the U.S. government and our partners. So writ large, I think we need to be relentless in our pursuit of every type of capability that allows us to adequately and, and in many respects superiorly inform U.S. policymakers, defense decision makers, and other government entities to the best of our ability. You can't meet that demand with commercial alone. And I think many of your members are probably familiar with capabilities that allow us to provide very unique insights, unprecedented insights to national security threats globally. 
And so to me, it's about both um, a, a full-scale national security capability of which, as I mentioned over the past several questions, includes a vigorous um, and well-performing commercial and international capability. And it allows us to focus some additional investments in very bespoke, very specific capabilities that cannot be answered by anything but a classified government-sponsored entity. And so you and I have both benefited, I think, from it's not one or the other. It is a spectrum of tools available to, as I said, the national security community. Um, and again, my personal opinion, as you know, you always have to have uh, some level of effort that is collecting secrets secretly. Um, and that's part of the intelligence edge. NGA has a privilege in that we get to do all of it, which is to say the highest and most bespoke, um, most sophisticated, if not elegant capabilities to answer the most challenging questions to provide decision space. And at the same time, procure uh, all kinds of data that can really flourish capabilities among allies to answer a full spectrum of questions that perhaps can't even be answered by the higher end um, uh, national capabilities that you and I are so familiar with. So to me, it's, it's both. And so I think it's very important to step right into answering those questions with a, a full understanding that a, a national security capability needs to bring to bear every tool available to the United States. And that's both, if I can say it that way, both sides. Thanks for that excellent uh, explanation, Shelby. I really appreciate it. And I know it. you know what my heart is. Yes, I know. I know. Um, anyhow, I want to shift a little bit. So we recently interviewed Chris Rasmussen on the Chairline Project and the work that NGA is doing with academia and um, different think tanks across the country um, to answer specific intelligence questions. He mentioned the conflict observatory. Um, can you give us a little more on how NGA is supporting that from your perspective? This has been, uh, I think, again, another milestone within that Ukraine um, uh, circumstance, uh, an opportunity where we've been able to reflect back on what is the data, who is the customer, and who is the best athlete that can answer and support um, customers and readers and partners um, in the most timely and effective manner possible. So for those that aren't familiar, Conflict Observatory um, is an effort in support of the State Department and looks to um, look at information of evidence uh, of Russian perpetrated war crimes and atrocities um, and make this information widely available. It's been uh, remarkable in terms of imagine the power of uh, organizations and specific experts, in this particular case, those with specific expertise in war crimes, where based upon the commercial data that's available to them, they can very aggressively look at um, both the overhead imagery and then marry that up with ground photography and other types of reporting to really make compelling integrated vignettes of the atrocities occurring on the ground in Ukraine. And obviously, um, the conflict observatory's work has gotten global attention. And I think that's part of 
um, what we've talked about earlier, which is based upon the proliferation of data and making that available to, in this case, an even broader community with academia and other organizations, they're able to even create more enriched stories than the government can do by themselves. Um, this, also, this effort does include um, documenting, verifying, and disseminating open source evidence um, and commercially available information, as I mentioned, which includes um, imagery that the Department of State has coordinated with us and began this work in March of 2022. Um, for us, the Bureau of Conflict Stabilization, I'm looking at my notes here so I get the organization right, the Bureau of Conflict Stabilization Operations worked with our NGA support team, so you know our embedded colleagues that sit inside the State Department, to learn a bit more about the commercial imagery opportunity available to them. And we have um, worked with the Department of State very closely to flourish the access and, and information available to the conflict observatory's very important work. So for me, I think that this has um, been very um, uh, a forcing function to push ourselves to see, well, what additional available information um, can be used to support this effort, and we have been able to provide unclassified um, uh, EO collection over Ukraine and really do that with a level of persistence that's commensurate with the task of war crimes where you want to be able to, as you well know, compare and contrast before and after and marry that up with other data sources to create a very compelling case. It almost has, a, we know, a forensic level of demand, but when you can look at the scale of what's occurring across this country, commercial imagery, um, electro-optical imagery can be um, uh, very important. And so back to your question about the partnership with the NRO, working very specifically with them to use our own requirements to drive uh, our partnership with the NRO to go acquire that imagery, it, I think has been has shown some promise in terms of being able to create um, a uh, viable lake of data available to this organization for them to continue to do their important work. Thanks, Shelley. I really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to end this uh, discussion on something a little bit different. Um, we have a lot of our members who are um, professors and teaching national security and intel. And um, we also make um, the interviews available to the different students and a, and a broader um, audience. You started your career as an imagery analyst um, and you've worked in a lot of different parts of the intelligence community. Could you just share with us what advice you would give to some of these young people that are interested in joining our community? I know you share the same sentiment I do, Jennifer, that there, there is no work like it. And I certainly don't have to sell that to our members of AFIO um, because obviously all of us were bitten by the intelligence bug that drew us, I think, both to the opportunity to serve. Um, and as our colleague uh, Jim Bruce knows, that the, the real draw of working for the government with even some inefficiencies does fulfill, I think, a, a, a real um, opportunity to contribute to our community. And when you look at NGA, the scale of what this agency is able to do across the board, I think is invigorating and attractive to a really diverse group of uh, students and those who pursue a variety of academic degrees. Like I think just even in source today, I have a background in liberal arts and international affairs 
that's what drew me to this particular community. But I also have human geographers and bathymetrists and geodesists. And so there really is, I think, uh, NGA and GEOINT is, is something that really is, is really accessible to the broadest base of academic um, paths. And you also get to work in the national security community. So it's not just the government service. Again, you can get that lots of places. It's also that you get to bring your expertise and utilize it for a purpose that's truly unprecedented. So to me, I think it's really energizing. And although people don't necessarily um, think of themselves or think of GeoInt in the most intuitive way, it is something that I think is probably more accessible than maybe some of the other disciplines in the community. Um, and then I would also offer to students, um, there's always an opportunity to jump right in and I hope that they will take advantage of all of the opportunities that the community brings, regardless of your background. And I think the diversity of what we're trying to do for the American people should attract the broadest, most diverse set of candidates that we can. And as I tell my 13-year-old son, you've got to learn to write in brief. It'll help you no matter where you go. So that's my personal advert, um, given that, I, Jennifer, as you know, if you can't write and you can't brief, you can't get it done. But we welcome uh, candidates from across the nation and hope that we'll see everybody here at NGU soon. Thank you, Shelby. That was great. No, I agree. If you can't, if you can't convey the information, you can't convince anybody about what's going on, no matter how good your sources are or how good that image is. Um, thank you. I know you have a very busy schedule, um, but thank you for taking the time to um, record this interview. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Absolutely. It's so great to see you. And I'm delighted that AFIRO has had me back. Thanks. Over to you, Jim. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. I want to thank uh, Jennifer Daniel, Shelby Pearson, and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency for really a very interesting and informative conversation. 60 years ago, I was a senior in high school in Beirut, Lebanon. And every night, my classmates and I huddled around a little shortwave radio, listening to literally the hour-by-hour -hour developments re revolving around the Cuban Missile Crisis. I know at that time that the predecessor of NGA was instrumental in diverting disaster, and I am confident that the women and men of NGA are doing that again today. Thanks, Jim.